0: All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories with what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step, and our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99 shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit 2 units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, DACE. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to crtv.com and sign up today. Levin Malkinstein, all for $89 a year. If you go to crtv.com today and use the promo code DACE. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in tonight on the Steve Dace Show. Powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We'd love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Contact us there. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We are going to spend this first hour, as we typically do, On weekend news and views, but there's really only one piece of news from this weekend that is worthy of, of covering. And it has, it has multiple angles and subplots and tentacles. And, and it's the first time in the Trump presidency that he has attempted to fulfill one of his promises that truly challenged the ingrained thinking of the political class heading into his presidency. Donald Trump has actually done a fairly good job of of keeping his promises, as we pointed out last week, so far. But with what happened with immigration over the weekend, this was the first time that he truly, truly attacked the zeitgeist of the political class coming in. And so I think it is worthwhile to take a considerable amount of time and and look at what went right and what went wrong and why because what happened over the weekend is a taste of what's to come if you actually do try to repeal Obamacare. If you actually do try to replace a Scalia with a Scalia, or later on, even if you try to replace a Ginsburg or Kennedy with a John Roberts, for example. If you go against the ingrained political class, this is what you are facing. So in many respects, I look at this, to use a sports analogy, I look at this the way I look at opening day of the football season. Right? You had an entire offseason, you know, which in football is six to eight months to contemplate with what your team would look like or, you know, how good they would be. And, of course, every week one of the NFL and college football season, we, all, we always overreact because we haven't had a game for six to eight months. We have nothing to compare it to. All right. So, so, so you overreact. On the other hand, if you underreact, that can create a systemic problem for your team as well. So, I do think a little overreaction in this case is not necessarily a bad thing because this is a test model of what is to come for the next four years. And right now we know. If the Trump team as it's constructed is up to the task or if it's going to need to amend some things and make some changes and everybody has to probably right, the old adage in football is what a team improves the most win from game one to game two. Why? Because it's game one. And even in the NFL where you have preseason games. People really aren't showing you full blitz packages. They're not hitting as hard. You're not playing a lot of the regular players you're going to play when the games actually count in the standings. In college football, it's even more heavily weighted because you don't even have those preseason games. You have no barometer at all. So this is the first time that you're playing live action when the other team they're trying to win to. And that's why you make that huge improvement. So this is a time to take a look at how they did. Because this is only the opening salvo of what the next four years will be like if Donald Trump is serious about keeping his promises. If you're one of those people, I'm going to warn you. If you're one of those people that believes Donald J. Trump tiptoes between the raindrops and King Kong ain't got nothing on him, not going to like this. If you're one of those people that believe there's nothing he can do right, he's just a total canoe and you're ashamed of your country for electing him this probably won't work for you either. Okay, you guys belong to... You two groups deserve each other in some Reddit Reddit chat group where only your own people read, scream, and cuss each other out. All right? We actually are just... We're looking at what's best for the country here. And that's the way we're going to analyze this. Before I get into my own thoughts and breakdowns of this, though, I actually want to bring our team in on this. Because I would like to know what, what you guys think... Just as you watch this from afar, your own ten thousand foot view over the weekend, and the impressions you had, because I want to, I want to throw those out to the audience before I begin baking the cake, and 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 boxing in the conversation. I want to see what you guys thought as you watched this transpire over the weekend. Todd, I'll start with you.
2: Well, I spent a lot more time on this than I I thought this weekend. So I come into this looking at uh, detentions at an airport and thinking, "Ooh, bad luck, bad luck. But then I do the research, take the time. It wasn't that hard. People were already on it. And here's my bottom line on this, and we will expand on it going forward. There were clearly missteps on multiple levels. But had, this, had those missteps not existed and this thing had been entirely buttoned up and executed uh, as well as could be, possibly be do you think for one second that the lie of the quote muslim ban would not have been there absolutely not that propaganda would have been pushed out no matter what no matter no matter the fact that they we can point to the fact that obama did uh, something comparable to this so i'm in this place where just as we it, it feels just like being never trump Before, you know, trying to put aside past political associations. Now here we are, a guy that I call the moral reprobate, and in many respects, uh, makes me very uneasy. Still, but I'm in, I'm at the position where he is being far more honest about this than many of his
0: opponents. Todd makes a very important point there that we are gonna, we're gonna flesh this out more as this first hour looking, looking looking at this in depth continues. The freakout is going to happen even if they get it right. Even if they nail the the rollout, the methodology, the application, uh, they if they nail it, the freakout's going to happen. If he blows the judicial appointment tomorrow, they're going to announce it at 8 p.m. Eastern, the Scalia appointment. If he blows that... The, the same thing by the left will be said about that judge as if he appoints a Harriet Myers, David Suter type, as if he appoints another Scalia. We have to recognize this. This is something we have talked about on the show. Do not measure what is good for the country by left-wing freakout. They are essentially, that's that's just a mantra for them. It's a default setting. They, they can't overcome that. That's just what their worldview is. No matter who he appoints, what he does, it's the worst thing ever. What we have to look at is whether or not the guy representing our interest on this issue, like it or not he is whether the guy representing our interest on this issue and his team are making mistakes that play into providing credibility to the left's narrative that's what we're looking at because todd is right they're going to freak out no matter what he does if he does it the exact right way and we're going to point out much of what was done over the weekend actually came from the obama administration itself we will point out those finding of facts here as the hour commences but from the from from the top i think todd made a very important point the left's going to freak out no matter what what you need to make sure is the guys representing your side doesn't feed that narrative. They don't, they don't feed the animals. They're not playing in traffic. Aaron, your
3: 10,000-foot view. The most disappointing thing that I saw, and I agree that every, uh, with everything that uh, Todd said, and I, I echo that as well. The most disappointing thing that I saw, and this is borne out again, there is, uh, of all the bugaboos about the church and Christianity, the state of Christianity in the United States, of all of the bugaboos that we have, there is no other issue that we are in lockstep, or most uh, I would say, en mass Christians are in lockstep with the progressive world view than on the issue of immigration. And that came full bore out this week, and I'm seeing so many of of my friends and so many Christians on so- social media. Well, one buy into the fake news that this was a Muslim ban, and two buy into the narrative that you can't be a Christian if you don't accept refugees. Um, you're we need to show compassion by letting in all of the refugees. That that 's to me that 's where the real problem is because uh, Trump making mistakes early on that's that's I think that 's to be expected and and we can hope that he does better and the administration does better at battening down the hatches later on the media responding the way they do that 's baked into the cake, and the left to responding the way that they do that 's baked into the cake as well, although I repeat myself the the real danger to me and the the real reminder of how bad. Um, our exegesis if you will the church's exegesis on immigration is uh, that was the the real story for me this weekend.
0: I'm glad you brought that point out uh, because one of the things I looked at over the weekend is Politico came out with this story about all these evangelical leaders that have signed this letter to Trump on this So I went and read it, just like we did during the campaign when you had these alleged evangelical leaders, you can't vote for Trump, and and it's very bad. And by the way, the letter letter said some of the things I was saying during the campaign, but we pointed out the people that were writing this letter are a bunch of progressive reprobate heretics that are trying to hijack Christianity because they see Trump's candidacy as an opportunity to lie to you. Mm -hmm. Don't buy that. So I looked at this this Politico uh, article. The one Christian so-called evangelical leader, which I've never heard of, uh, that they, quote, prominently admits in the article she voted for Hillary Clinton. I'm sorry if you voted for a woman who thinks a child in the womb is there to be maimed and dismembered. You've lost the high ground with me on the pearl clutching, okay? Uh, Hands that shed innocent blood, one of the things God hates, okay? So if you flunk that test, you have flunked the rest. But there were some other interesting entities that were on there as well, and we'll talk about that when we return.
1: Listening to Steve Dace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Steve Dace Show.
0: A couple more things on this. The point that you were making, Aaron a couple of the prominent names that signed this letter, Sami Rodriguez, I've met him before, he's the head of the National Hispanic National Association of Hispanic Evangelicals. Does a lot of really good stuff. But when I first when I first broke in To syndicated radio, I went out to San Francisco for a meeting of CNP, which is, I was invited to go, Council for National Policy. That's like the elite of the elite conservative leaders in the country. And I was one of the, one of the board members' guests. So me and several of my team members on our, that are part of our board of directors here for the company that owns our show went out to San Francisco and listened to a pitch for Amnesty by Sammy Rodriguez. So while I agree with a lot of the work that Sammy Rodriguez does, he's long been an advocate for amnesty. Leith Anderson is the former head of the National Association of Evangelicals, and so he's supposedly a big name. When we had a marriage amendment on the ballot in his home state there of Minnesota in 2012, he took no stand. We did everything we could, begged, pleaded, threatened. He would not take a stand on that. So you'll forgive me again. Sammy Rodriguez has a long-standing pro-amnesty stance. Which is fine. I just don't agree with it. I'm not saying he's a heretic, because he's not. I just don't agree with his application of biblical teaching here. Leith Anderson has a has a long has a long history of being that guy who care who writes books about creation care and says nothing when the institution of marriage is threatened. So again, you'll forgive me if the pearl clutching. I I don't buy that. But that's the level of homework we're going to have to do to not get caught in to the maelstrom here. All right, And that's part of what this weekend was about. It wasn't just a test of the Trump team. It's a test for us as well. So that's why I want to begin, follow me now, at the beginning. I want to begin at the beginning. Before we get into analysis and moves, I, I want to stipulate to facts that these are not analysis. This is not opinion. I was just dismayed over the weekend how many of you sent me your analysis as if it was fact. And I'm like, your analysis, I do, I do analysis for a living. My, your analysis might even be right. But it's an analysis. It's not a fact. You know what's a fact? Facts. Facts are Facts. Okay,
3: wait, back up. No.
0: <laughs> I could not believe and I'm not when I say this, I'm not talking just leftist trolls. I'm talking people on our own side. I mean, your opinion isn't a fact. Your analysis isn't a fact. Your conclusions aren't a fact. They might be right, but they're not facts. Here are facts. Number 1. There is no right to immigrate to America or anywhere else for that matter. There is no right to that. None. No right. You have no right to immigrate to America. What if you feel it really, really? You have strongly, no right to immigrate to America. But you have really no, strong. You have no right.
3: What if Americans are being really compassionate, though?
0: No right. And 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 I can't. For those of you who assert otherwise, which is a lie. Why, on this, on one hand, you say our country sucks so bad. On the other hand, we ought to just let everybody in. Why should we punish those poor people more by coming to such a crappy country? It makes no sense. You're contradicting yourself. All right. So number one, there is no right to immigrate to America or anywhere else in the world for that matter. That's fact number one. Fact number two, there is no Muslim immigration ban. There is a restriction on receiving immigration from seven nations known to harbor and or support terrorism Now why were these seven nations picked? Some of you are telling me I noticed three Middle Eastern nations Like Saudi Arabia Where the 9-11 hijackers came from And Egypt uh, w- w- Which is another country that, that I think one or two of them came from uh, I noticed that they weren't on the list So they must not be on the list Because Trump has business interests there Your analysis could be correct But it's not a fact Indonesia is not on the list either It has the largest Muslim population in the world Trump has no business interest there So again, your analysis may be true, I don't know, but it's not a fact. The fact is, these seven nations were not chosen capriciously. These seven nations actually came from the terrorist sponsoring warning list that the predecessor for President Trump, President Obama, handed the new White House from their own Department of Homeland Security when Obama was in charge. This was their list. This was the list that the Obama Department of Homeland Security gave to the Trump Department of Homeland Security. And, of course, Trump's cabinet is not fully implemented yet and in place. Many of the people that were still running the show under Obama still are. That's where those seven countries came from. Now, if you want to argue that those other countries should have been on there and they're not because Trump has business interests there, I'm okay with making that argument. Your analysis may even be correct. Right. Like George Takai, the progressive actor uh, turned Twitter activist. I can't believe those those other countries aren't on there. I said, so you're actually making an argument to put more countries on the list for which I would agree. Thank you. Appreciate it. But that's your analysis. That's your conclusion, not a fact. The fact is these seven nations weren't just play pin the tail on the Middle East, guys. They were chosen because they came from the Department of Homeland Security. That was the seven-nation list President Obama's national security team had put together. And that's what President Trump's team followed through on. That's all. That's where it came from. Fact. The Constitution gives us the authority to restrict immigration for any reason we cotton pick and well choose. That's a fact. Well, Steve, what about the National Immigration Act from the 1960s? That act was signed by President LBJ during his great society phase. And it was done because people were alleging that America was letting in basically unfettered immigration from white European countries and restricting it from non-white countries. But even, and that act does say you cannot be denied entry into the United States on the basis of nationality or origin. It does say that. Except it says that with a certain clause. And would you know what that certain clause is? This does not override national security concerns. That is the number one factor in deciding who gets into the country. And for national security concerns, even this immigration act that many people were falsely, including Congressman Justin Amash, who was one of my favorites. He's wrong on this. He's he is quoting you accurately with the immigration act. I think it's of 1965 of what it says. He is not though quoting you fully what it says. There is a clear codicil in that act, by the way, Amash should know as a strict constitutionalist, a statute doesn't override the wording of the Constitution anyway. All right, he should know that. The number the the only way to override the Constitution, guys, is to do what? Amend it. A statute doesn't override the Constitution. He should know that. But number two, the Act specifically provides um essentially an escape clause when national security is concerned. Then, when national security is the issue, we can deny access to anybody for any reason we want. That's exactly what, and why does it say that? Because that's what the Constitution says. Case in point, in 2011, for six months, President Barack Obama did not just suspend receiving refugees from Iraq, but visas as well. The same thing, people are losing their mind, visas and green cards, losing their minds over Trump over the weekend. Why did President Obama do this? Because there was a threat that we were bringing in interpreters from Iraq that were actually helping to provide IEDs and terrorist materials. That's why he did it for six months. And there was no, and you know why you don't know that? Because there was no freak out over over it. Because the conservatives thought, hey, for once he's actually doing something, putting America first. And the leftist, the globalist didn't say anything because, well, he's our guy, so we don't say anything. But this is, this is modeled almost exactly off of what Obama did in 2011. And the countries chosen came directly from Obama's list as well, from his White House. Those are facts. Not in dispute. Fact. None of the 10 countries in the world sheltering refugees the mo- none of the top 10 country in the world, countries in the world for sheltering refugees. Not a single one comes from the West. Not a single one, including not a single European country that the left absolutely adores and wants us to become more like. Not even Merkel's Germany is in the top 10 of refugee sheltering in the world. Not a single country in the West. It's not just us. It's all of Europe. More facts not in dispute when we come back.
1: Listening to Steve Dace. Free the free air while you still can. The Steve
0: Dace Show. All right, more facts before we get to the analysis. So I want to reset these. Number one, there is no right to immigrate to America or anywhere else for that matter. Number two, there is no Muslim immigration ban. There is a restriction on receiving immigration from nations known to harbor and or support terrorism. Seven nations that came from President Obama's Department of Homeland Security. That in total are about 12% of the world's Muslim population. The irony here, by the way, is for the left to call that a Muslim ban is actually an indictment of Islam, not U.S. policy. That's the great irony of this. Fact, the Constitution gives us the authority to restrict immigration for any reason we darn well choose when national security is at stake. We can do it because you wore purple on Thursday and white after Labor Day because national security is at stake. And even LBJ's Liberal Immigration Act of 1965, I think it was, provides a get-out-of-jail-free card when what? National security is at stake. All yeah, right? because the Constitution isn't a suicide pact. That's exactly right. Because the Constitution is not the, is the U.S. Constitution to protect the citizens of the United States and its interests. It is not the planetary Constitution. Some of you libertarians and many of you progressives seemingly don't understand that. But it's the U.S. Constitution, not the planetary one. Fact, none of the top 10 countries in the world for sheltering refugees are in the West. Not a single one, not just the U.S., but not a single European country. Fact, fact, the refugee restrictions that Trump signed in his executive order over the weekend actually. Is more refugees than George W. Bush was willing to let in during his presidency. Fact. Those are facts. Facts. That doesn't sound like a ban at all. That's a fact. Those are all facts. Those are not in dispute. Those are not in dispute. Those are all facts, as well as the fact that this is modeled almost exactly off of what Obama did to Iraqi refugees and Im- Iraqi immigrants for six months in 2011. So now those are all facts that are stipulated. Now we do the analysis. And with those facts, we do the analysis, not of the way that the other side overreacted, I know almost every other show that before we got on the air tonight, that was what they gave you. They did you a disservice if they did. Breaking news. People who disagree with us are going to disagree with us. Developing on drudge. Progressive globalists believe in open borders and hate U.S. sovereignty. Oh, here's one more fact I want to address. There is no preferential policy for Christian refugees. It's not what it says either if you read the actual orders. It says religious minorities, like Yazidis, who are this weird ethno-multi-religious sect among the Kurds. So it doesn't say that either. It's not what it says, guys. Those are
2: all facts, not in dispute. What it does say, though, is that each and every case can be reviewed on a case-by-case basis.
0: Yes, let me throw one more fact in there. Green card holders don't have the right to not have their green cards reviewed whenever the U.S. government chooses to do so. That's not how it works. The issue with Trump and the green cards was not that he chose to review them and before they left the country. The issue is that the law provides they are received due process before they are reviewed. They can't be reviewed by fiat. That's the law. That's where the mistake was. But that's not what you're being told. You're being told that green card people are like citizens. That's not true. If they were like citizens, you know what they would need to have, guys? A green card. You know why you don't have one? You're a citizen. Okay? So, yes, they are given most of the rights inherent to being one by approval of being here. But they can be reviewed at any point, provided there's due process. That's where the Trump team went wrong but see that's that's that that's 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 a process headline most people won 't get doesn 't provide the freak out of they held up all these green card people at LaGuardia. three hundred thousand people came into this country back and forth over the weekend three more than three hundred thousand on their green cards somewhere less than two hundred were actually were actually um, uh paused stopped and and analyzed while they were here but again that's I'm not, and I don't agree with that handling of the way they handled the green card thing either, by the way. But, but understand, that story, the way I explained it to you by fact, doesn't fit a certain narrative. And that's why the rest of this hour that we are analyzing this gentleman, I, now that we've stipulated to the facts, I don't want to react to what the media said and did. That's easy pickings, and that's baked into the cake. Everything Trump tries to do that we would like, that's what they're going to do. And I know that, I know most people that do what I do for a living, that's what they've spent all their day talking about, because that's what you want. You want the sports rah rah team. St- at least that's what they think you want. That that you that you're not interested in the substance. Well, I, I'm 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 not doing a career of that. I'm I'm sorry. You should know that by now. We're here because we care about the country, not just acquiring an audience. So th- so to me, the test here is not the way the left reacts, but the way the White House handled this rollout, and the way they responded to the fake outrage and fake news. And that's what we're going to analyze when we come back.
1: Listening to Steve Dace Luck and Load. This is Steve
0: Dace. All right, so here's the thing. Here, here, here is if, if you are. If you are a Trump supporter, not cultist, but supporter, you believe in his message or you are a Trump voter and you viewed him as a better choice than Hillary Clinton, despite misgivings, and you're in either one of these camps and you want to see him be successful, what we're going to talk about here the rest of this hour is what I believe is the key to his success. And that's why what happened this weekend is so important. And the Trump team needs to be doing what every good coaching staff does in every sport. They don't just do scouting of the other team. In fact, John Wooden, maybe the greatest coach in any sport ever once said, I don't want, I don't even watch film of the other guys. I go recruit the best players I can. And then I make sure we execute what we want to do because if we take care of our own business, we're going to win. I got better players than you. I'm not necessarily sure that the Trump team should feel that confident. But at, by all means, there needs to be some self-scouting going on the next couple of days. And hopefully it's been going on all day today. What did we do right here? What did we do wrong? Let me begin with, with, because that, that, how you navigate this. See, Trump has defeated the media. I read a piece in USA today. Trump would make a mistake to go to war with the media. Completely disagree. It's the best play that he has. He just can't overplay it. But it's the best play that he has. He's beaten the media. I mean, most Americans are now tuned in, are, are tuned out to media freakouts, Hollywood freakouts. They just, they just, whatever. You guys have done this before. The media that cried wolf is Frank once tweeted over the weekend. The key, though, is the Trump team's actions and messaging cannot, cannot then turn around and give credence and credibility to the media's false narrative. That's what cannot happen. That's how, that's the, that's the war against the media you can't win. Why? Because you're actually at war with yourself. And that's where you split your base, and that's when you're done. I spent a good deal of time on Saturday defending the Trump team on social media and what they were trying to do here. For two reasons. One, the fake news and outrage was way over the top. I couldn't handle it. I'm a truth guy. I just couldn't handle it. Two, the substance of what they're trying to do, if not necessarily the execution, the substance of what they were trying to do is what I spent well over a year advocating for during the primary because this was Ted Cruz's approach. Let's go after the nations that are known to harbor and sponsor terrorism. Damn this river at the source right there. Did you know, for example, Israel, there are 16 nations in the world that will not accept refugees or immigrants from Israel? Did you even know that? Probably not. Doesn't fit the narrative. So here's point number 1 I want to make. And 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 I spent a good deal of time Saturday trying to defend them on this. I woke up yesterday for church and I see that Mike Flynn's son, the Pizzagate dude who Thank the maker shut his Twitter account down because that guy is that guy makes Ann Coulter look like uh, uh, so crates. OK, just a messaging disaster was on there, was on Twitter praising Trump's Muslim ban at the same time that they were trying to convince us it was not one. And Rudy Giuliani goes on that Janine Pirro show on Fox News and says, well, yeah, this is a Muslim ban. They were just trying to figure out some way to do it legally. And I, I just I saw that when I got up yesterday morning. I said my I, I should have had a V8 moment. This is where it has to be just exact. This is, this is why you feel like you have to join the cult or not join at all. Because you get, because it, they just force you, even when they're right. The way they execute puts you in indefensible positions so you feel as if I have to become a freaking Kool-Aid drinker or I have to just walk away altogether because you leave me no room for actual intellectual honesty whatsoever. When you have Flynn's kid and Giuliani going out there, they're unsaying those things. They're undermining your own message, guys. They're undermining your own message. They're giving the high ground to the fake news, just handing it to them. See, that's what's going to cost his presidency. It is not what somebody said from the Canadian news service linking that tragic shooting in Quebec last night to Trump early this morning on the Today Show. The only people that buy that crap were never voting for you ever anyway. This last election proved it. And Twitter is not America either. Twitter outrage is not equal to American outrage. I think we learned that on November the 7th as well. But when your own messaging contradicts itself and you take people like me, for example, who are out there trying to defend you and you just throw us under the bus and undermine us, that's how you will lose. You can't do that. So, so number one, how many of you heard the series of facts that I laid out to you? How many of you heard them for the first time laid out like that just now? How many? What I posted, what, what I just gave to you was, was something I posted on my Facebook wall Saturday around lunchtime. How many of you, when you saw it there, several thousand people have shared it on Facebook. How many of you, when you shared it, that was the first time you'd seen those facts? That is problem number one. Problem number one. I have a high regard for my intellect and what we do here on the air. That being said, and sometimes that arrogance is my downfall. That being said, however, the President of the United States' immigration policy should not be first defined and defended on a fact-based basis by the Steve Dace Show, guys, or our Facebook wall with 106,000 likes. Okay? See my point I'm making here, gentlemen? This should have been what the White House led with. And then, in light, that should have been the opening paragraphs of the executive order. And then it should have been, in light of these facts, I will take the following actions. How hard is that? Excruciatingly difficult, apparently. You know what? You get a mulligan this weekend. You're not going to get another one. Can't happen ever again. What happened this weekend can't ever happen again. It will bog down his presidency in a domestic version of Iraq. Like Iraq did for President Bush. They can't get out of their own way. Just as, just as Bush had no messaging on Iraq and sent Dick Cheney out there to grumble like this and I can't remember Left's out there accusing him of, of of riling up the Arab street. You lose! And that's where just one tweet, by the way, can't change the whole news cycle then. You can't split your own base. You can't do that. So you should, the executive order, gentlemen, should have stipulated all of the facts I just mentioned. Including, these are countries, the previous president's Department of Homeland Security told us were their primary terrorist yeah. concerns, these should have been the facts, and then it should have said, in light of these ac- in light of this, these facts, we will take the, the following actions. The problem is they agree with you, obviously, about going to war
2: with the press, but how they fight it is different. They, they believe that they can get rid of all this stuff by
0: just blaming the press. Yes. T- Don't go to war with the press with one bullet in your gun, Bonnie Fife. That's it.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Jenner's favorite program. Call me Caitlin. This is Steam Days.
0: All right, two more quick strategic errors the Trump team made this weekend, and we'll talk more about this next hour with Bob Vanderplatz. Number one, when we signed off here on Friday night, the Trump team had the left over its knee and was breaking their foot off in in their backsides over the March for Life. Totally had them on the defensive. They were rallying their own base. And now suddenly that it's like that rally never happened. It's totally off the headlines because they came out the very next morning and rolled this out. Tripping over their own offense, tripping over their own momentum. Uh, terrible look. That's a, that, you can't make that blunder. All right. Don't change horses in midstream. Don't change topics when you're winning the debate. You know when you change topics, guys? When you're losing it. Like, here's what they did do right. When the rollout here began to blow up in their face, Thursday's Supreme Court announcement became Tuesday. Right. Why? You change topics when you're losing the argument, not when you're winning it. When you're winning the argument, park the car, put it in park, let it idle. Hell, turn it off if you have to. Just stay there for a while. Grab a Snickers, not going anywhere. The March for Life thing was winning for them. They had a united base around the country rallied. They tripped over their own messaging. Can't do that. That's blunder number one. Blunder number two is they attempted to implement this policy before the fullness of Trump's cabinet heads were put into place. So you are relying on lifers from the previous administration or previous administrations who obviously don't agree with what you're doing here because the reason you had to do it is because they weren't. So you're largely relying on infrastructure that's opposed to you to implement its changes. Well, I'm confused. I don't get it. I don't understand what we're doing here. No. No. You should have waited until... Now, some of that can't be alleviated because the government's so big and there's so many lifers in there anyway. But you could have at least waited until your own department heads were there in order to try and implement this. Gentlemen, your thoughts? I, I do agree to some extent. Here's one
2: point where my theory about Trump doing many things at one time is absolutely necessary. Keeps, they can't so you co- focus can't, on one. So you can't target. And I, I don't disagree with you, For me, but how long... Was that near, because of our attention? It cuts both ways. How long was the honeymoon going to you know, last? I, you know,
0: I'd like to. I would have liked to at least the next day. I know, especially I know. with the Sunday morning shows. The following day, you could have had Kellyanne and all those people on the Sunday shows. The next day, hammering the left for ignoring the half million people that came to the life debate. I, Instead, we got this. You, okay, so I agree with you. I I, in, I agree with you, but in, in, as a as a general strategy, when you fire a bunch of things at once. Particularly with Trump's Twitter account, they can't focus on one thing. But when you're hammering them with that one thing... Why not one more day, of course? Yes, why not one more day? It's better to overplay your hand than to underplay it. Aaron?
3: Um, Just quickly, Trump needs to roll some heads, I think, over this. I think he can set a message and set a tone for his administration. No more screw-ups like this in the future.
0: We'll find out what Bob Vanderplats thinks about this when we come back.
3: Listening to Steve
1: Dace. We are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is steam days. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty, and liberty will. Raise in america
0: this is steve dace back with hour two here at the steve dace show on the salem radio network powered by conservative review steve at steve is the email address that's d-e-a-c-e like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve dace show this is the hour we like to look at leadership bob vanderplats joins us from the family leader good to have you back my friend how are you Good to be here. Doing really well. I want to get to your take on what we spent all of hour one describing, which were the events of this weekend, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to lead off with uh, the event to come tomorrow night. Uh, President Trump has announced that on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, he'll be naming uh, the long-awaited—it's been almost a year uh, since Antonin Scalia died— so the long-awaited replacement for who is arguably or was arguably— the, the the greatest conservative justice of his era, maybe in the last century. Uh, and, and so I think this is an early barometer of his presidency. Uh, in fact, I've got a piece coming at USA Today uh, about that. And, and I think this is not just an early barometer for his presidency. I've been saying that since before he took the oath. But I think it is for the conservative movement as well. When you look at the fact about one in five voters, uh, about 21 percent, One in five voters said uh, Supreme Court appointments was their number one issue in voting. Only the economy finished ahead of that issue. It ranked ahead of terrorism, immigration, the budget. Only the economy finished ahead. Among those who said that judges were their most important voting issue, Trump won those voters by 17 points. Hmm. So it it, it could be said that it was the issue that put him over the top in the election election. It certainly was among them, if it was not the issue. He has been adamant all along he's going to appoint pro-life justices. So I think this is a credibility issue for his presidency, when so far, even though they always haven't executed it well, you can, they are making a concerted effort to keep their promises. But this is one of the most important ones that he made. Also, when you look at the size of voting block that he brought to his side on this issue, it has a lot of political ramifications as well. And then I think it comes down to the integrity of our movement here, Bob. Uh, if if he nominates any of the judges that are being mentioned right now, Hardeman in particular, who the least is known about. But Gorsuch, uh, you know, comes recommended by somebody I respect. And Robbie George wrote a book about euthanasia and the life issue, although not addressing it from an abortion standpoint a few years ago. But in his judicial opinions, has not really had a lot to say. Prior to me of the names being mentioned, the most problematic, he was the key figure in what happened to Judge Roy Moore. And when you look at some of what he has said about, you know, the, the tranny madness made up philosophy we're dealing with now in recent decisions. And he made those decisions in it while knowing he was a candidate for this position. When you would think this is when you'd be getting your Scalia on right about mm-hmm. now, right? You know what I'm saying? That you wonder if a guy's making these kinds of decisions now when he's up for the job, what will he do if he actually give him the job? To me, there's, there's a few people out there that are hundred percenters like Mike Lee. We wouldn't have to sweat them out. We know what they would do from day one. But if he gives us a suitor or he gives us a Roberts, what will the conservative movement do? Will it stand up and say, like it did with Harriet Myers, this just isn't going to work? Find somebody else. Or will it feel as if we've got to defend him, that's our guy? I, I think there's a lot at stake in this decision. What's your view?
4: Well, there's no doubt there's a lot at stake in in this decision. There's a lot of people that represent our base, which would be the the faith base, the Christian base, the evangelical base. Who would tell me, listen, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not voting for a lot of those things, but I am voting for the Supreme Court. And because I'm voting for the Supreme Court, Donald Trump's going to get my vote because I don't want Hillary Clinton appointing the next Supreme Court justice. I think you go back to the third debate. In the third debate when it was the SCOTUS litmus question.
0: Hillary Clinton stood right there and said, I'm going to appoint justices that will undo your way of life. She just told you that. Right to your did. face. To fact, her she, credit,
4: she was honest about and it. And she said, you know, we, we need people who understand the way the world works. And the way the world works according to the the Hillary philosophy of how the world works. And where Trump was very adamant about, I am going to appoint a pro-life justice. I'm going to appoint somebody who's, whose likeness would be Scalia-like. Uh, when, when this person gets appointed and then you take a look at uh, what took place on this past weekend with the, the, the March for Life and you have Vice President Pence going out and talking about how the cornerstone is the life issue. You have Trump tweeting about you have our full support. You have Kellyanne Conway. We hear you. We're listening to you. Basically we're coming from you. I really hope and believe that this is going to be a good pick tomorrow night. Now, his decision is already made up. So to say what kind of pressure we put on him right now, there's probably not a lot. But the thing that's different today, Stephen, and and you're a good example of that, because of voices like yours, because of Twitter, because of Facebook, because of all the ways to get get information today, it used to be these justices, nobody had a clue who they are.
5: Mm
4: -hmm. Well, I guess they got appointed. They must be good. Ram them through. Today, we will know in a nanosecond, if this is a good pick or not a good pick so i'm hoping that that we can believe trump on this issue, like he, he's proven on some of these other issues. There's a new sheriff in town, and hopefully on the life issue as well. And with the Supreme Court pick, we're going to see. There's a new sheriff in town.
0: I think I think of the names most being bandied about, and I still would not rule out it would be somebody like Mike Lee or a dark horse because we know Donald Trump likes to uh, like surprise. The, to surprise. He likes the entrance, right? Yeah.
4: I don't like the media to know before exactly. I tell you.
0: But among the names that are the most being mentioned, I think uh, the two most likely are Hardiman and Gorsuch. I I think Pryor kind of had his trial balloon in the media and the best he got from his base was, meh, you know, because of the things I just talked about. Gorsuch and Hardiman are not as defined uh Hardeman I don't see a lot of uh, major conservatives whose opinions on these matters I respect backing him there are people um whose opinions I do respect that uh Kelly Shackelford who's a friend of you and I's uh, from Liberty Institute or First Liberty Institute now uh, I mentioned Robbie George from Princeton who's sure. I think one of the leading conservative thinkers in the country who advocate for him uh Andy Schlafly at Eagle Forum and has known Neil Gorsuch since they were in law school together and has a completely different take mm-hmm. that's exactly why I think that this is not the time to split your base over this of this appointment. Right now, you have the left on defense; they're not organized. You're replacing Scalia. This is not the fifth vote on Roe on religious liberty. You're restoring the ideological balance that previously existed when Scalia was there. You go find a Scalia that every that is to replace a Scalia. It's like the, if the Packers had replaced Brett Favre with say Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, but he's not a generational... Sure. They would have had a drop. He's not Aaron Rodgers. But they replaced him with Aaron Rodgers. They replaced a once-in-a-generation quarterback with a once-in-a-generation quarterback, and it's been a seamless transition. You need to replace Scalia not with John Roberts, which is better than what you would have gotten from Hillary Clinton, but with another Scalia. That's why you go get somebody right now that unifies your base and says yes, you kept your promise, because when, when, if and when Ginsburg or Kennedy, who are the two most likely to step down because they're both in their 80s if when one of them steps down that is your fifth vote. Yeah. That is when it will be your Borkian fight, and maybe that's when you pull out a Gorsuch who's not quite sure. as defined to try and, and
4: and navigate. But right now, I think he needs a sure thing politically. And, and to our audience right now, Steve, that we're talking to, I think what, what will be key is not on how the left reacts or the media reacts, because they're going to be screaming bloody murder no matter who right. he if appoints. If he can
0: nominate Merrick Garland, who Obama wanted to appoint, and right. he would be the most uh, the le- the most anti reproductive freedom justice of all time the next day. Okay,
4: yep. that's the way the game is played and but you need to take a look hey what what are the kelly shackelfords what are the robbie george's what are the steve Daces? what are they saying after this pick is announced i i feel somewhat confident and maybe it's just a sixth sense that this is going to be a solid pick i'd love to see it to be somebody like a mike lee or like a ted cruz where the conservatives would say right away listen uh, we know this guy. Uh, we we don't we don't need him vetted anymore. We know how they're going to respond, and and he came through on the pledge. So we're going to have to see what happens tomorrow night. That doesn't mean that either Hardeman
0: or Gorsuch are not solid. Exactly. Picks. But this is again where the we cons- just don't know. Enough. We don't know, and this is where the integrity of our movement comes in. They the he has to be vetted then. Our movement has to really vet him, has to look at him, has to profile him before the before he walks into that confirmation chamber.
4: Before and, you do the nuclear option to yes, confirm him, yes, because you're still better, going to have to do that. You better know who who you're going to be confirming. That,
0: that's that's so I don't. It, it's not. Hey, if these guys are who gets nominated tomorrow, it's an automatic disaster. They might be David suitors They might be John Roberts. They might be Scalia's. That's the problem. We don't know. And so our movement's going to have to find out the answers to those questions, like they did with Harry. Exactly. And maybe you come back and you find out, you know, this isn't Harriet Myers. This guy's actually really good. But, you know, we all thought John Roberts was going to be great, too. And, and you know what? Everybody's really ticked off. We're all ticked off at Obama for suing nuns and Hobby Lobby because of Obamacare. But if John Roberts doesn't legislate from the bench, not once, but twice, he rewrote Obamacare's mandate as a tax. He then changed the meaning of state exchange. And the second time it came up, twice he legislated from the bench mm-hmm. to save Obamacare. If he doesn't do that, Obama's uh, suing of nuns is null and void. That's why we can't replace a Scalia with a Roberts, but another Scalia. More in a moment.
1: Listening to Steve Dace.
0: Drain the Swamp. The Steve Dace Show. All right, back here on The Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Talking leadership as we do each Monday night with Bob Vander Plaats from The Family Leader. All right, I want to take a, a, the rest of our time here this hour, Bob, and look at what transpired over the weekend, because I think it is, it's, very, it's a very seminal moment in the Trump presidency, because uh, even though the first week he's done a pretty good job of keeping his promises... This is the first time on a matter of public policy that he poked the bear. This is the first time that he went after the pre-existing condition, to borrow a term, of the political class. All right, And attempted to not just use a bully pulpit, like uh, forcing the media to cover the March for Life, for example. But but really, substantively, on a matter of, of policy that is a tenet to the elites, truly went after them and I look at this The I think we should look at this as conservatives the way a good coach looks at the first football game of the season there's a reason why they always say the most improvement of any team is game one to game two because it's the first time you can have preseason games you can have scrimmages you can theorize right but until you get out there and see how the other team reacts to what you are trying to do to win games you really don't know what you have and then the, you, you make your initial adjustments to that in game two and that's where you see teams make their huge improvements so I think this is game one for the Trump team. I don't think it serves our movement any any good at all to uh, rail against the straw men on the left and media bias and fake news. I know that will draw huge ratings for every other show that was on before me tonight, but that doesn't advance our agenda at all. We, we can't control what the left does. We can't control what our opponents think. You know, I, I can't go out there and make them run a new game plan. I can't make them be more intellectually honest. It is what it is. What I can control, though, is how I'm going to react in light of those things that I just pointed out. So I want to focus our attention on the execution of the Trump team more so than the fake news and outrage of the left. Is that okay with you? I'd love to do it. All right. So I proposed several things that I thought that the Trump team did wrong in terms of execution over the weekend, and I want to get your take on them individually, because I did spend a lot of time on social media Saturday defending this, because the substance of what they wanted to do is what I advocated for over a year when I was supporting Ted Cruz. So before we begin, I want to give you a list of facts. We talked about these last hour. And, and these are facts that I think should have been the lead in the executive order. I think, I think the executive order should have begun with statement of fact and then said, in light of these facts, which are not in dispute, the president of the United States will take the following actions. Okay. Fact. There is no right to immigrate to America or to anywhere else in the country or anywhere else in the world for that matter. You don't have a right to just go to whatever country you want and you never Save, have Say, here I am. Exactly. Fact, there is no Muslim immigration ban. There is a restriction on receiving immigration from, from seven nations that President Obama's Department of Homeland Security itself Recommended as being nations to focus on where terrorism is concerned, and that's where these seven nations came from. And the way that and, and this is being this is being applied exactly as Obama applied it to Iraq for six months in 2011, when we were worried about their interpreters actually being sleeper agents infiltrating the country. Uh, this is not against Islam; it's less than 15 percent of Islam in the world is in these seven countries. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world; it's not on the list. And these seven nations came from a recommendation from the list given to us by the, our predecessor's Department of Homeland Security. Fact. The Constitution, when national security is concerned, gives the government the authority to restrict immigration for any reason we darn well choose. You wore white after Labor Day. You wore purple on Thursday at 3 a.m. If Nash, Even the Immigration Act of 1965 that says you, can, you cannot be denied immigration in the United States based on origin or nationality offers an exception for what? National security. Why? Because keep it safe. Keep it safe. That's the number one priority. Fact, none of the top 10 countries in the world sheltering refugees are in the moment are from the West, not just the United States, not even any of the European countries that the left loves are among the top 10 countries in the world sheltering refugees. Fact, fewer refugees came in under George W. Bush than the limits that we are about to propose here in the Trump administration. These are facts I think should have been stipulated from the outset of this executive order when it was released. Stipulated, therefore, we will take the following actions. Unfortunately, the fact that many people are hearing these facts for the first time on a show like this or on my Facebook wall or from other people that were trying to defend the substance of a prudent and sane immigration policy and not from the administration itself. That is a blunder in execution, in my view.
4: Well, first of all, I I think you're exactly right. And and the Trump administration, and President Trump, their, their number one goal is keep this country safe. And and so that's fact number one. Two is this is I mean what what you're hearing is that this is a, a, a Muslim test, this is a religious test. It's not a religious test, it's a security test. And there's there's an identified threat there. So I think by leading with the facts, matter of fact we say when we're when we're uh working with any employees and consultant with employees, uh, the first thing is be be factual, be fair. Be firm, and do your best to communicate it in a way that 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 has dignity to the office, and dignity to your position. And I think that's what he needs to do here. I think you're exactly right. Begin with the facts, and then show why this is fair. But then you're going to be very firm. I'm not backing away from this thing.
0: I think that you need to do this on offense because if you're constantly correcting, you know, it looks it's a good look now. Four years is a long time to test people's patience. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly having to provide fact checks of fake news, after a while, people tune out and they start thinking, well, you know, every time they report something about you, you don't like, you call it fake news. That's why you need to train your... So Constituents like, to so like, state
4: the facts up front first. So, like, these countries don't have a Trump hotel in them, so that's why we're banning it? Yes. But, uh, but, I mean, but, you don't confront that. Y- y- uh, move on. Yes, but, but, but you get things like that sure. when you don't state the facts of the case up front. Right. So I, I think in anything that he's going to do, whether it be this executive order or anything coming down the pike, I think to list that, number one, here are the facts. Yes, start and, with that. And understand... America, we're being fair. And the first thing that we're being fair about is your security. And then to the media, we're being firm. We're not, we're not buckling just because you guys want to turn up the heat on this thing. These are the facts. We're being fair, but we're also going to be firm.
0: The the second blunder, I think, was made over the weekend is they really need to tighten the ship of who speaks for the administration, batten down the hatches, and not just in, in official capacities, but on social media. So a lot of us are out there defending this and that it's not a Muslim ban per se. And then, you know, I get up yesterday morning to go to church, and I'm checking out my social media, and I see Mike Flynn, the national security advisor, his son, Mike Flynn Jr., is on Twitter congratulating Trump on his Muslim ban, And then I see Rudy Giuliani went on some show with Janine Pirro or whatever on Fox News saying, well, it is a Muslim ban. We're just looking for a way to legally do it. And, and, and now you're, you know, you're tripping all over your zipper, man, out there in public. You're undermining and throwing under the bus the people that are trying to defend you. And this is this is the problem you have at times with Trump's style is because. He forces you into a position where you have to either become a Kool-Aid drinker or just walk away entirely because there's such a lack of discipline. So I'm going to, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to defend this all day on Saturday only to wake up the next day and see. People that aren't even connected with the administration in an official capacity, but because they have been in the past with Trump, they go out there and they undermine your own messaging. It's like there's no place for any discernment at all. They need to
4: really nail down who's going to speak for them and how. I I agree with that. And you know, and I know, especially in the day of social media, it's awfully hard to control anybody. But you need to be very clear of those people who are certified surrogates to say he doesn't speak for the administration. He doesn't speak for the administration. And then someone on the backside better be getting to those people and saying, knock it off. Two more things I think went wrong this weekend that need to be
0: corrected going forward in a moment.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace.
0: for Patriots, The Steve Day Show. All right back here with Bob Vanderplotz from the Family Leader here on The Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by conservative review. I think it's, again, very important for us to look at the rollout of Trump's attempt to to truly go on offense on an issue we made a promise on, because there's lessons that need to be learned about what worked and what didn't work, because you got a taste of what the left's going to do every time you do this, regardless of the issue. This is what it's going to be. And so I think you need to look at your own game plan more than worrying about complaining about the other team's game plan that you can't control.
4: And the one word we used last segment was the word fair. Mm-hmm. Understand the left has no intention of being fair. No. The the media, the left, anything you do is being put through, how can I kill Trump lens? Exactly. How can I take Trump down lens?
0: That's exactly why you need to self-scout. That's exactly why. The other team's out to beat you. And, there, and every t- every time you fouled them, the ref lied. Every time you didn't foul them, the ref the ref gave you a favorable call. That's this is a contest. It's a competition. The other side's never going to admit when the ball went out of bounds off of them. That's mm-hmm. never going to happen, guys. Nobody's ever going to raise. one's going to go to the ref and say, you know what? I fouled that guy. I was holding him last play, and you missed it. You should penalize me. It's not going to happen, guys. So you've got to concoct a game plan and acknowledgement that the other team's trying to beat you. No matter what you say or do, no matter how noble, unvirtuous it may or may not be, you can only control your reaction to the situation and what you can't do is provide a narrative that feeds theirs. You can't go out there and expose the fact that it's not a Muslim ban and they're making it and they're saying it wrong and then have two of your, especially in Giuliani's case, one of your top circuits go out there and call it a Muslim ban. You can't do that. That's, that's what you do when you start scoring points for the other team and now you are, now it goes from fake news to, well, maybe this actually is the news now. Point number three on this. So we've talked about um, statements of fact leading into the order. We've talked about who gets to speak. The third thing that I think they've got to look at here uh, is the timing of this. And that's really going to lead to the next two things I want to talk about. The first part of the timing on this, we'll do this one because it's shorter, and this is our short segment of the hour. They don't have their department heads implemented yet. Most of their cabinet officials, even the ones that are confirmed, are not in place yet. Which means a lot of the people that you would rely on to implement this Even if it's not the head of the cabinet of that department, the infrastructure beneath them are all people that are either lifers in those departments or were appointed by the previous regime.
4: Expect pushback. Yes, they have
0: every incentive to contact somebody in the media and say, we're confused. We don't know what to do. They're giving us conflicting things. Well, this
4: is un-American.
0: That's exactly right. The the timing of this uh, in terms of waiting, for example, why not wait until Jeff Sessions is at least running the the Justice Department? So, So you have clarification questions on the legalities of this. So that made the chain of command uncertain. That left too much. Like, I thought it was smart for them to go to the EPA and say, you can't do any social media things as a department that you don't run by us. That's just being a boss. I don't want my subordinates out there undermining my own message. And it's the same policy, by the way, that Obama had. They should have enacted it should that's why the timing of this, they were in too much of a hurry to act because they allowed themselves in terms of its execution and implementation to be vulnerable to people that oppose what they're trying to do.
4: And we also need to acknowledge though that they are a bit caught. They're a bit caught because you have a Senate, the Democrats in the Senate, who want to delay any confirmation. You have a country as shown by this election who's tired of waiting, who's tired of politics as usual. I just want to move, and I want to move on it now. So that's what they're caught. I, I totally agree with you, though, that if you're going to move, especially with executive orders of this magnitude, it'd be good to make sure that your atten- attorney general's in place and make sure that your A-team at least has the key cons- comp- components of the battlefield so when the media starts coming after them to undermine your message, when Hollywood comes after you to undermine your message – Instead of getting, in the, the, getting caught up in the emotional debate, you're getting caught up in the factual debate. Because in this case, the data should win, the facts should win. Do not let the emotion drive the narrative.
0: This brings me to the fourth and final uh, self-correcting strategic mistake that was made over the weekend that needs to be adjusted moving forward. And this goes back to the timing again. When we signed off here on Friday night, They were opening a can on the left on the March for Life. I mean, they had the left over their knee. Feet were repeatedly being broken off into backsides all over the fruited plain. Uh, And and Trump had his base maybe the most rallied behind and unified behind him he has had since he announced his candidacy.
4: That's why this court pick is going to be that important as well.
0: Agreed. You've got Saturday coming up, which is the slowest news day anyway. And then, so there's not a lot of news to recycle, which means the Sunday shows, which will set the tone for the week, are all going to have to talk about what? The life issue. The life issue and the March for Life, and Trump's going to make a Supreme Court p- court pick on Thursday. You're on offense, all right? Let the car idle for a while. If not, turn <laughs> it off. Put it in park. Grab a Snickers. Don't go anywhere. Instead... You tripped on your own message. And now it's like that march, it's like in in the minds of the news cycle, never even happened on Saturday. I want to get your reaction to that when we come back.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Never attack what you're not willing to kill. This is
0: Steve Dace. (laughs) All right, back here. Bob Vanderplats here with us from The Family Leader. Now, of all the things I thought I was going to have to point out that I thought the Trump administration did wrong in the next four years, not staying on offense was was not going to be one of them. All right? I thought I would never have to say stay on offense, but they were on offense on this life issue on Friday. And when we signed off, it was like the, that women's march and the half million people over that was and multiple countries that showed up, it was like that never happened. They completely erased that from the news cycles, memory banks, the media is is showing up at the March for Life Friday. CNN's actually covering it live, right? I mean, the whole zeitgeist on that issue turned on a dime, and they were spanking their political opponents on this. So why they chose the very next morning to come out and change the subject and roll this out when they're on offense and you still have the Sunday morning shows to come where you can beat them up a little bit more leading into the week, and that ties right into your Supreme Court pick later in the week. I thought that was, of, of all the strategic blunders that we mentioned, I think that one hasn't been highlighted enough.
4: Well, the coach in me says, no, they stayed on offense, but sometimes you need to come out of the two-minute drill. Sometimes you need to come out of the fast break. Sometimes you need to actually huddle up and execute and say, okay, we're, we're going to run and go three yards in a cloud of dust instead of we're always going for the deep bomb. Because that way, you're right, the Sanctity of Human Life, that would have been all the Sunday shows. The, the media would have been on their heels. The Supreme Court pick, they've got no control over it. They know they don't. That's what the Sunday shows, but they are looking for an executive order to talk about how inflammatory this is, how un-American this is, try to undermine uh, Trump at every turn. Trump likes to say, and I've heard this in multiple interviews, how hard he works. And he does work hard. As a candidate, he worked hard. I think right now as a president, he's working hard. But now someone needs to come in and say, okay, let's work smarter, not harder, because there's times to come out of the two-minute drill and let something just fully develop. We get the full measure of it, like the life issue before we go into the executive order.
0: You want to know when it's time to change topics when you're losing on the previous one. Sure. Like the, the Supreme Court was originally, the pick was supposed to come in Thursday, and they hastily announced yesterday they're going to move it up to Tuesday. Why do they want to change the subject? Change the narrative. Because they were losing the previous narrative, right?
4: You're and why did the media want to get off the sanctity of human because life? Because they were
0: losing that narrative. Losing That's it. exactly why you stay there. I go back to a moment that happened in the Cruz campaign. Uh, it was uh, in November, December, leading into the caucuses, 2015. It was that period when Rubio and Cruz were at each other's throats about whether Cruz actually backed Amnesty 2 with the amendment he tried to, uh, the gotcha amendment he tried to put on the Gang of Eight that him and Jeff Sessions partnered with and that whole narrative went back and forth and I was invited on a call with some Cruz strategy campaign people just to kind of get a media perspective and an Iowa perspective on a question they were wrestling with. Jeb Bush was desperate to get back relevant in the race. He was out there peddling oppo research to anybody that would listen on Marco Rubio and he offered some op- oppo research, I think it was on another issue like environmentalism or global warming. Mm-hmm. On Rubio, And so the debate was, hey, since we've got this w- new front with Rubio war opened up, do we go do we use this Oppo research and attack him on this or not? And my take was there are certain issues for every, every candidate has an issue that even when they're right on it, it's just the issue itself is a loser for them. I said so the birther issue is a loser issue for us, even when we're right. Every time it's talked about, it's, it's a loss leader for us. So get off of it. Immigration is that issue for Rubio. It's why he's not blowing the field away as we speak. So even when we lose an argument the fact that the argument's being had is a bigger loser for him. He can't win no matter what he says. If he affirms what he did, it reminds everybody of what he did. If he tries to backtrack, he looks like a flip-flopper. Don't change the subject. Don't
4: go off off immigration. That's
0: right. Keep the car parked right here for as long until it runs out of gas because Rubio can't win this argument. And that's what we ended up doing. That's what Trump, I thought, should have done with the March for Life over the weekend. Well,
4: I think, you know, 2020 is always hindsight. Uh, Their administration Obviously, wants to get a lot done. They want to make this a historic 100-day move. But this would have been an opportunity to say, okay, we're going into weekend shows. And going into weekend shows, what do we want to have driving the narrative? Because the executive order, we know the left's going to go nuts on this deal. And there's plenty on the right who are going to have questions about it as well. And they want to make, is this really a religious test? I mean, the Mormons are going to have questions about that. Mm -hmm. The Christians are going to have questions about that. Or is this a security test? Let's have that conversation a little bit later. Keep it on the narrative you want. And that would have been, you know, the sanctity of human life. We're winning that issue.
0: Final thing that happened over the weekend that I just did not, this I didn't just get at all. All right. So I I like what they tried to do on immigration. I agree with the substance of it. I think the execution can be improved. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't even get the substance of this. Why in the world did you put out a a, a statement on on a national holocaust remembrance, removing any specific mentioning of, of, of Jews whatsoever, and then double down, triple down, Well, we're trying to be inclusive? What does that gain you on any level? And I get never apologize. Okay, I'm not talking about never apologizing. I don't get making that mistake up front. I don't get why anybody thought, and nobody in the room said, guys, you know, I mean, there's no mention of Jews here. We're going to look like idiots. We're going to look like what Obama looks like when he doesn't want to say, you know, radical Islamic terror. This is like the inverse of this. How do you, that seemed like just spending political capital down a toilet for no reason.
4: To me, that's why Game 2 is better than Game 1, why you're most improved in Game 2. I think, frankly, Steve, that was an unforced error. It's an unforced turnover. There's no reason to do it. I think even they look back, if they can re- redo it, they would redo it. Uh, but the mantra has always been uh, don't don't apologize, don't back away, double down. So be
0: a coach now. We're looking ahead to Game 2. We, we self-scouted. What do we do better?
4: Well, I think what you do better is, first of all, you make sure what, what is going to be driving the narrative? What's the narrative that we want? Let's make sure that we control it. If the media really is your opposition, which Bannon and President Trump are saying the media is our opposition, let's understand that. And then how do we drive the narrative? How do we control the narrative, especially the Sunday programs? Two is though, when you, when you have the Supreme Court pick, which is going to be tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Uh, let's make sure you drive that one home. Make sure you don't create a two-front war with that pick. Because you've got the momentum right now with the life community. And the people in the states, I'm just speaking from Iowa now, but I've got peers all across the country working in their states as well. We're, We're seeing some historic moves on the life issue. And because of that, we are dependent on that pick. That President Trump puts forward tomorrow night. So that one's gonna be scrutinized, cut through the white noise, go to voices that you trust, and then find out what your action steps are.
0: This is, there's never a time to open up a second front within your own base. Never a time. This would be one of the worst times you could think of because. This is maybe the seminal promise of his entire presidency, other than the immigration issue, is this pick.
4: Yeah. Because when we heard with Bill Clinton, it's the economy, stupid. Well, we heard with Donald Trump from all of our friends, it's the Supreme Court. Yes, indeed. This is it.
0: Bob, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Steve. We'll come back and have some uh, response to what you just heard in a moment.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. them by their own petards. The Steve Day Show.
0: All right, back here to wrap up Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Let's get some reaction to the conversation we just had with Bob Vanderplotz. Aaron, what uh, was said uh, during the course of this hour that uh, stood out to you?
3: I'm going to tell you what I learned during this hour. And I think this is the main lesson that Donald Trump and his administration needs to learn. This is what they need to do next time and every single other time. Leave nothing up for clarification. Hmm. Ever. Ever especially with these types of executive orders where there are a lot of moving parts and there are a lot of organizations uh within the uh, Department of Homeland Security that are involved you can quickly get into the me- weeds if you're the media and the we- media loves them some weeds because they can lie in the mo- weeds no pun intended leave nothing up for clarification ever again be very very specific because the uh, as as low information as the uh, populace is the people consuming media are the media is very low information as well. Don't let don't give them an opportunity to get off into the weeds.
0: Interesting. I think that's a very salient point, Todd.
2: It's very salient, as were many Bob's, But I can't help but wondering if, if, if these are these are conversation pre Trump conversations we're having, I, I, and I, these are the conversations I still have in my head about. How many of them are still applicable? We are talking. With the force of nature that is the incredible hulk trump presidency he, he, he's just a c- dog chasing a car he just does things which is not to say he's dumb but his his, his calculus is just different the, the, he, even if it's even if he had everything buttoned up he is clearly trying to trigger emotional reactions he's not trying to avoid them it's it,
0: you're right but here's the thing he is the Hulk. He's the most powerful force in the Avengers. But he's just one of the Avengers. He can't do it all, right? There's other people on the team that that can fill in or at least there needs to be if there's not. You know, that can that can provide those sorts of things. I mean, we you know, Trump last week he's asked about you know his positions on torture, for example, and how they're contrary to Mattis. You know what he said? I, hey, I put I put General Mattis in charge of the Pentagon, so he's going to make those decisions. And if they work, I'll stay. I'll, it's none of my business. He shows you a willingness at times to delegate. He shows you a willingness at times to realize when he's maybe in over his depth. Therefore, it is reliant on the people. What have we talked about since the election? The conservatives around him are going to have more to say about the failure and success of this presidency than he himself will. So where are the people around him? This is where the Stephen Moores and and the Steve Bannons that are being speculated as the architects of this. This is where, if, if you're going to go down these roads, then you owe your boss, who happens to be the President of the United States, a forensic, actuarial, strategic analysis of what the next four, five, six steps will be after you do these things, so that you're not seen reacting all the time. You know, the, One man can only do so much. The rest of the team around him has to compensate for those things.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace.
0: and hey, we're back with Hour 3 here tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, one of the uh, more fascinating think pieces I've read the past few days is over at The Federalist, and it's about how President Trump is the first person to turn postmodernism on itself, and that's... That's the exact kind of philosophy, nerdist stuff I dig. So we're going to talk to the author of that piece coming up later in this hour. It is that time of the night when our producer Aaron takes the learner's permit out of his Velcro wallet and takes the car for a drive. Mom and dad are here, of course, to supervise. It is three questions. Sorry, I just have that. I have the, the, those visions on the uh, right, in front, and center of my mind because I'm going through this with our oldest daughter right now, Aaron. So I apologize.
3: For uh, no, I, I thought it was funny. I actually do have a Velcro wallet. Would you like to? No, no I don't.
0: <laughs> uh, these are the three questions that Aaron is allowed to ask us about any three things. Nothing is off limits, but he has to answer the same questions himself.
3: Thank you, Steve. What is the most ubiquitous thing the church in America gets wrong about a biblical worldview?
0: Oh boy.
3: I mentioned this in the first hour. I think it is as far as in mass, in lockstep with the enemy or opponent, if you want to use that terminology. For me, it's got to be the issue of immigration, and that was on full display because there are still, as, as, as wayward as the church has gone on so many issues, not the least of which the marriage issue, which is astounding in and of itself, it seems like even people who have that right seem um, to fall prey to the compassion argument when it comes to immigration.
0: Well, you know, this goes back to something that happened to me over the weekend. I had a woman on our Facebook wall post, Jesus wouldn't build walls. And I said, well, in the, in the Christian worldview, God is three persons in one. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Which means, you know, the God of the Old Testament who orders the Jews to go into Canaan and cleanse the land is Jesus. Um, the God in the Old Testament who tells Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and do what? Rebuild the walls but the, but the Old was Testament Jesus. Wasn't, the Old Testament okay. wasn't written by Jesus.: So Steve. yes, I, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, OK. I, I get it. I, I get what you're talking about. Let me, go, let me go a little bit higher in terms of the viewpoint, because I think all of the issues you're talking about all stem from the church's failure to recognize the true nature of progressivism, what it really is, that it is not a political ideology. It is a systemic theology. It has its own ecclesiology, government just as the church. It has its own creation mythos, naturalistic by only naturalistic means evolution. That it is the heresy of this age. It is the Marcion, it is the is the Arius, it is the Pelagius, it is the heresy of this age is progressivism. And its intent is to challenge the church for supremacy morally and philosophically in a culture and to ultimately replace it. And then the church has played into this by not only identifying the true nature of progressivism and therefore allowing it to seep into its own uh, its own walls, Todd, but the dangerous du- duali- or dualism of that is this comes at the same time, and maybe that's not a coincidence that the church has largely abrogated teaching serious yes. theology to its Members.
2: And remember, all the greatest evils are perversions of the greatest goods. I mean, the, the, there's a reason the devil doesn't come out with pitchforks and horns and is that transparent, because that would open us, us to the truth much more quickly. The devil is a liar. So it's the spin on the most fundamental truths where he gains victory. The church is, I go right to the very top. The most true thing we should need to know about God is that God is love. And we have that definition so wrong. glove is equal parts mercy and justice. And w- the scales are totally out of whack on that front.
3: Question two. If you had to invent three book titles that you would pull off the shelf based on the title alone, what would you name them? So in other words, what's good clickbait for books?
0: Oh, uh you won't believe what Donald Trump did next. This is going to make Donald Trump mad. I can't believe Donald Trump just did this. Those would be the three I would choose. You want clickbait? That will do it. And from all sides of the aisle, every time.
2: Let's see. Something with cuck in it. Number yeah, one. Dispatches
3: from Cuckistan.
2: Uh, wow, you, you made us do three of them. Oh, uh, what do uh, uh, what do uh, millennials like? Um, How
3: to be a wizard themselves?
0: <laughs> How to be a wizard themselves. Jedi themselves Jedi. How to be the best you you can be? Yes.
3: yes. Uh, there's there's no title. It's just a mirror. In they,
0: fact, yeah, yeah. How about it? It really is all about you. That's your clickbait for the millennial generation. There you go.
3: There you go. Yeah um you got any more ideas i said dispatches from kakistan no uh no title just a mirror um and how to be a wizard that, that's that's what i got uh we'll move on uh question three where did that question come from by the way just out of curiosity um you, know, you just make it up the bowels of my imagination right, and it's a place that you really you don't I mean, want to the you don't de- want to hang out no. you don't want to hang out there no, no it's uh it's scary uh okay uh question three combine an element from two bands to make something new, kind of "Eye of Newt, Toe of Frog." Oh, you
0: know, like the Traveling Wilburys were, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and ELO and Bob Dylan. That's kind of what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. How about? I'll just go. I'll go totally old school. Okay. How about if you had Paul John? Pete, and Keith. If your Fab Four were Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Keith Moon, Pete Townsend.
3: I'm tracking with you.
0: You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. All right. So... Because listen to me, the Who is like the ultimate supergroup. You could make the argument that all four of its members were the greatest members were the greatest at their spots in rock history. I don't think they're collectively they didn't they're not as great as the Beatles, I'm not saying that. But they're they're their singular talents. You could certainly make an argument Keith Moon's the greatest drummer of all time. You could certainly make an argument John is the greatest bassist of all time. You could certainly make an argument Pete Townsend was the greatest guitarist of all time. Uh, and you could certainly make an argument that Roger Daltrey was the greatest frontman of all time. He would be right up there with Robert Plant, et cetera. So I was trying to think of which two... I mean, so to me, the two weakest members, and when you're dealing with the Beatles, weak is a relative term. The two weakest members would be George. And uh, who Harrison probably didn't come into his own as a musician until after he left the Beatles. And Ringo Starr. Clearly, from Ringo Starr to Keith Moon is an upgrade. I don't think anybody in the universe would debate that. So maybe instead you just keep the rest of and And, you know, if, if I'm going to put another guitarist there, because McCartney is your bassist, if I'm going to put another t- guitarist there, why wouldn't I put Pete Towns in there? So what do you think of that swap out, Todd?
2: Well, I mean, my, you're you're playing with fire. I mean, you're at the top of the mountain, Zeus. There, you know, rearranging the elements. That's go, go, bigger, that's go bold. I'll, I'll I'll be a little bit more uh, humble. How about we combine uh, uh, go orchestral '80s hair rock. You know, yeah. There's a local sports radio show here that does something pretty funny with a a fairly modest achievement in sports, and they put very very heavy music over it to make it seem really heavy. <laughs> you know, you they they've done this really good, like with Metallica, orchestral. You know, mm-hmm. bringing, that's fantastic, and they can do that. But can you imagine, like like Motley Crue with like a great orchestra? Li- nice. I'll say
0: this: the, one, of the, one of the best concerts I ever went to was 20 years ago, Hilton Coliseum in Ames. Page and Plant were touring. Mm-hmm. And got I spent the most money I could spend to get the best seats I could get. So we're like 20 feet from the side of the stage. And the concert was great. But when they came back for the encore and they did Cashmere with the Des Moines Symphony Orchestra yeah, as their the backup, mixed with everything else, that was hair on the back of your neck kind of stuff.
3: That song's like nine minutes long, too. Uh, I would do like Daft Punk and Andre Ryu.
0: Not all that familiar with either one, but I'm not cool anymore. So
3: Andre Rieu is uh, is the uh, violinist that uh, your grandparents like because he's on PBS all the time. <laughs> just like, I'll have to yeah. take your word for it.
2: <laughs> you say things like that. It's just all I hear is you like trying to bait people on Twitter to come at you, and you're on the cat for
0: I just you know I,
2: I have no idea what you just said right there.
0: It's okay. That's two of us. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that is two of us. Yeah. <laughs> We'll come back, maybe.
1: <laughs> You're listening to Steve Dace. how conservatives can win again the steve day show
4: now for something completely different we need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology i
1: prefer metaphysics to theology see there's no guilt in baseball what in the wide wide world of sports is going on here we talk
3: about something else certain aspects
1: of this culture may seem absurd perhaps even offensive
0: you cut the culture crap and get to the hotel we gotta get some buzz going indeed we do This is your nightly buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the headlines from earlier today that we didn't have time to get to earlier in the show, as selected by our producer, Aaron, based on what's trending on your social media, as well as the water cooler where you happen to work. He's got those headlines. We will respond with the hot takes.
3: Thank you, Steve. Uh, First story, Canadian authorities have arrested two people in connection to the Sunday Quebec City mosque attack that killed six people and injured numerous others. The suspect was identified by Canadian media as Alexander Bissonnette. Details about the shooter and his motive are still sparse, but the authorities believe it was an act of terror. One witness described at least one of the shooters shouting, Alhu Akbar, which of course we all know, unfortunately, is Arabic for, or Arabic for, God is great. He said that uh, both suspects had uh, Quebecois Québéco- uh, Pec- uh, accents. Yeah.
0: The irony of this happening, as their little uh, uh, Marxist Vunderkind uh, prime minister up there, Trudeau, is that his name, Mm -hmm. Uh, is tweeting out over the weekend uh, that uh, we are happy to import the Middle East here to Canada if you don't want them there in the United States. The irony of the timing of this, Todd, is impossible not to notice, and, and it's just a tragedy and it's just the whole thing's just obviously very sad.
2: Very brief. A good friend of mine has spent a lot of time in India because he's married to a woman from India. And he said you know, th- that this entire conversation is just totally detached from reality. He said, There is a reason that there are states named Bangladesh and Pakistan. All used to be a greater India. He said, The population of all the same ethnicities. So there's no tribalism there, and that the only difference, there's no different colors of brown, no different shades. The only difference is Islam's fundamental inability to get along with others.
0: Until we embrace that, we're all lying to ourselves or each other. Uh, And you have to understand that a lot of people don't know what words like jihad mean. Uh, It it doesn't mean holy war. Uh, It 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 means uh, struggle. Inner struggle. That's what it means. The, the struggle for the spread of Islam. That's why, that's why you'll often see the more correct description of being violent jihad. And a lot of people criticize that and they think, well, that's from the Department of Redundancy Department. No, it's not. Every Muslim is called to jihad. Every Muslim is called to struggle for the dominion and spread of Islam violent jihad is actually the correct terminology because it is only a small, scant percentage that will engage or advocate for violent jihad as the means of a, of, of, of of participating in their struggle for Which Islam. Which doesn't
2: mean they don't believe in it, they just won't do it themselves.
0: Well, that could mean that too. But even if we're only talking 10 or 15% of a religion of a billion people, you're talking about still one of the largest armies ever amassed for the purposes of oppression in the history of the human species. Okay, so you have to recognize That. You have to understand that. And you have to look at what's happened with essentially, uh, you know, Vichy enclaves of of Islamism that exist in countries like England and, and the such for now, because this is inherent to their religion. Radical Christianity says you lay down your own life. In order to spread the faith, your willingness to follow in Christ's footsteps. Love knows no greater man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Radical Christianity says, no, Steve, well, there's radical, people that, people that, be, that claim to be radical Christians and lash out at others violently are just radicals. They're, that's not inherent to even Christianity. In fact, Christianity is debated within itself from its very inception to what extent to be nonviolent, actually. Radical Christianity says that you are willing to lay down your own life as a test Testimony to your faith. Radical Islam says you are willing to take the lives of others as a testimony to your faith. Until we recognize this, and so the distin- we, uh, you're going to have a hard time playing well with others.
2: And so the distinctions are making and embodying the fact that the people that they want uh, that the, this whole refugee thing is now saying it's people are saying it's going to cause more terrorists. W- really. Why? I thought this. That's a total contradiction. Here? You're right. And, and if, why then are the nuns on the bus then not also being pushed to the that? Same you
0: you break? are exactly right. When people say now, orders like what President Trump tried to do over the weekend will create more terrorists. That can't possibly be true unless what Islam's critics are saying about them is also true. You're you're making the case against yourself when you say things like that.
2: And forgive me, I said nuns on the bus, I meant little sisters to the poor. They are much different things.
0: When, when, when Obama spent months denying sanctuary to that German homeschooling Christian yes. couple about a year or two ago, did, it, did anybody write stories, this is going to prompt Christians to rise up and blow up buildings, Christian terrorism, of course not. All right, so the, the idea of restricting Muslim immigration only would create terrorism amongst Islam if terrorism was endemic to a certain strain of Islam. You're actually making the critics of Islam's case for them when you say things like this.
3: Next story, President Trump has signed an executive action to revoke two regulations for every one enacted. Uh, the officials some officials told the Associated Press that they're naming the new directive a one in two out plan. Federal agencies will have to revoke two regulations for every new regulation they request. Trump says it'll be the largest cuts ever to the American regulatory system.
0: Yes, please. Yes, I can I- I don't have much else to add, other than I like that approach.
2: Overall, I like it. The one and two out, if it actually happens, that's a great thing. Pushing that out as a bumper sticker sounds a little gimmicky and like something you came up with running for high school uh, class
0: officer or something. You mean like "Make America Great Again," hope and change? That's the reality. Well, no, that's that's, yeah, that's what most yeah. that works. We, that's what most Americans are. That's what most Americans are. And what do I always say? Can't fight the environment. It is what it is. I with- <laughs> Most Americans want milk, not solid food. I You're withdraw right. my grown upness I mean, your, your lament is correct. It's just, sadly not relevant to the environment we're in. <laughs> you are wish, the weakest link. <laughs> no, I mean, I wish... The reality is if, 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 if the environment were capable of sustaining your lament, your lament would not be necessary. The fact that you have to make this complaint in, is indicative of the fact the environment actually it, relates to these sorts of sophomore uh, talking points, and, and that's the
3: reality. Last story, on Sunday night, the Netflix series Stranger Things won the Ensemble in Drama series Screen Actors Guild Award. David Harbour, the actor who plays a rugged local law enforcement officer, Chief Jim Hopper, launched into a speech about, guess what? Wait for it. The supposed evils of President Trump's immigration reform executive order harbor stated we will shelter freaks and outcasts those who have no homes we will get past the lives we will hunt monsters and we are lost amidst the hypocrisy and the casual violence of certain individuals and institutions we will as per chief jim hopper punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy the meek and the disenfranchised and the marginalized and we will do it with soul with heart and with joy <laughs>
0: And we will do it from behind our gated communities out here in Beverly Hills, Hollywood, and Burbank, while the rest of you plebeians out there in middle America, you will import, um, because you're so deplorable, you will import these potential dangers into your neighborhoods mm-hmm. while we sanctimoniously criticize you from out here in uh, California.
2: Yes, please try punching me in the face with joy. <laughs> yes. We'll see how long your joy lasts. Uh, you know,
0: I just... And that's why Trump got elected. That's all you can say.
1: Listening to Steve Dace, Liberty's Bat Signal The Steve Day Show.
0: forgive me whenever we crank up the food fighters for the bumper music i feel compelled to let it play an extra 10 seconds or so
3: no one blames you
0: that should be a new rule here on the show so stipulated one of the more fascinating thing pieces i've read so far this month uh, was a few days ago over at the federalist written by david ernst it's titled donald trump is the first president to turn postmodernism against itself. And because we have an entire hour of this show each week de- really dedicated to philosophy and theology, this was right in my wheelhouse. And David Ernst, the author of this piece, joins us now. David, welcome to the Steve Day show. How are you? Great. Thank you. So I love the hook here. And I I want, you know, one of the things we learned in this last election, David, is we have to constantly define our terms. Let's begin by defining postmodernism. I have often defined it to our audience as a belief in nothing. Uh, it's a it's it's a it's an airborne cont- philosophical contagion that progressives unleashed on the culture in the hopes of nihilistically undoing the previous more philosophical and moral framework uh, that uh, existed in the country. And this is a means by which to destabilize those frameworks, convince people nothing is true in order to prepare them for whatever new framework you have in mind. What's your view of that definition and how would you add multiply, subtract or divide from it?
5: Um, I mean, I don't, uh, I mean, I could gather from social media and whatnot that like a lot of people who identified as postmodern people who really studied uh, postmodern philosophers really seriously didn't didn't like my article. <laughs> 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 and they told me that I, uh, you know, that, that they told me that I was attacking a straw man and whatnot. And, um, and, and my response to that is that I think I think what I sought to identify as a trend within our culture, and you know the, the extent to which people who truly are postmodern thinkers or who engage in those sort of philosophical ideas, are responsible for that, I think is a little more um, questionable. Uh, I think it's I think it's just a it's just a matter of the way that these ideas have consequences and the way that people see these issues, and so as a as a as a result of that. Um, I think it makes it a lot easier for uh, it, it makes it a lot easier for progressives, at least it has for the past couple of decades or so, for, for progressives to push their policies. But that what I thought to show in that article is that it, that's not necessarily always the case, that, if, you know, um, if we're going to be skeptical about the truth and we're going to be completely skeptical about morality, that, you know, that those assumptions can just as easily push. Any agenda, as, as it could anyone else. It's, it's, it's only it's only a matter of coincidence. I think that um, that these ideas have really been associated with the left, and what we saw in this last election, I think, was, uh, a, 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 I mean, say what you will about Donald Trump. I mean, I, I can speculate all day as to what he actually really thinks, but um, that he was that he was able to use their language, and he was able to use uh since he since he's a, a creature of our popular culture he was able to use the techniques that the left has usually get, you, has used against the right over the past couple of decades to great effect i mean that's sort of what i've told a couple of people it's like this is what uh you know who sort of pushed me on this I said this is this is a, he's treated you the way that you've really treated us <laughs> if that makes any sense hmm.
0: is this what you allude to early in your piece when you say trump cracked the code is that what you're talking about david
5: um when I, when he cracked the code he um uh he, he he played the role of the anti-hero and that was something that I describe
0: that that's anti-hero that's, that's for our audience um
5: anti an anti-hero is um is 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 a as a protagonist in a world without without truth without justice or without morality and you know the the the, the postmodernism that i see in in the the appeal of the contemporary anti-hero is that anti-heroes um Are enjoyable to watch and they're entertaining because even even though they are flawed in so many ways themselves, what they do is they expose the hypocrisy in others who pretend to be any better than they are, um, and that's that's what I really saw. I mean, just watching that out, but watching the Al Smith dinner speech when I you know I I, I said it was uh, jaw dropping. It was. I practically fell out of my chair. I couldn't believe that that he was uh, he was making the jokes that he was making um that he was just sort of deliberately feeding the contempt of the crowd around him and i i first thing that came to mind was that scene in scarface <laughs> say what you will about me but you're all a bunch of hypocrites
0: more fascinating think pieces i've read so far this month donald trump is the first president to turn postmodernism against itself is the title now when we come back there's, there's an application question to what David writes that I want to get his take on, because I, I think that it means two totally different things for conservatives if, if what David lays out as the way Trump carries himself is done for tactical reasons because of the, the, the sort of culture and media that he's up against or if it's done for a worldview reason, if that's who he is at his core. Because I think which one of those it is means something totally different to conservatives. We'll talk about that here next.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. You cannot stop him. You can only hope to contain him. This is Steve Dace.
0: David Ernst from the Federalist. You can read his new piece: "Donald Trump, the First President to Turn Postmodernism Against Itself." In a way, I think the argument here is: Trump a product of the environment, or is he its? Uh, is he its comeuppance? Is he you know? Is he the uh, the Incredible Hulk? Uh, a manifestation of man's. Um, uh, of, of, you know, a, a comic book, you know, force of nature manifestation of man's irresponsibly, irresponsibility when it comes to uh, pushing the limits of science so too far, uh, who's now just sort of this rampaging menace, you know, or is he himself part of this very culture, uh, and therefore has no other means by which to communicate uh, other than the environment from whence he came, David?
5: Well, that's I mean that that's a that's a question though, that I really that I've um, <laughs> over throughout the past election cycle that I find myself I find myself wrestling with is you know what what to um, you know is, is this is this the only way is, is this the is, is this the only way to effectively um, push policies that I like or to um, defend my views in the public square to sort of play these um, what's the way to put it well, to, I mean, to 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 embrace to embrace the uh, the postmodern culture in which we live. I think it's to me to me I think it's it's undoubted that he is uh, or undeniable that he is a product of this culture. Um, I mean, he's been in the he's been in the spotlight for the past thirty years. He's a celebrity. Um, I mean, he has a uh, he has a familiarity with our popular culture uh, that, in my opinion. Very few other, if, if no other, prominent conser- conservative politicians do. Um, he's able to reach people and speak to them in a turn on, on terms um, that are familiar, with, that are culturally familiar in ways that most conservatives can't. Um, so, it, you know, my my the conclusion, the, the tentative conclusion that I reached, and you know, by the time November came around, was. Um, that this was the that this was the only way, <laughs> and I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know what comes next. Um, but if, you know, if, if it w- if it wasn't going to be him, it was going to be somebody else.
0: The reason why um, the, the reason why this question is important, because one of the things I have to talk to my audience about David is that you know in politics, if if I can't get somebody to do the right thing because they believe in the right thing. Then as long as I can get him to do the right thing by another means, motivations are between them and God, and he'll judge that in the end. But in this case, I think it's important for conservatives to try and gauge what the motivation is here, because this gives us a window to the soul of the next four years. It it, it helps us to understand if this is a tactic, if this is a tactical response to to the culture that a Trump presidency is up against. Well, then that means one thing for people like us. But if it is, if it's endemic to who Donald Trump is, to what his character is, that means another. Because sooner or later the postmodernism will turn on us sooner or later the antihero will turn on us sooner or later the hulk just knows to smash david he doesn't know when to stop that's why they have to reel him in right that's he, all he's got one speed sooner or later those are going to be our buildings those will be our towers that's those will be our infrastructure that hulk will be smashing into bits and pieces and that's why i think this is an important question to try and gauge the answer to
5: i agree um I, I I didn't seek to uh, my I, in my piece. I didn't seek to answer that, and <laughs> it is. Um, I think I think I think you tapped into the. Or I think you identified the one big question that I was left with. You know, after sort of after sort of reaching this conclusion, sort of figuring out what his appeal was, or, um. You know, sort of seeing him as a product of our popular culture, and seeing the way that he was that he was able to sort of beat a lot of the left at its own game. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't walk away with. Uh, I, I, I still haven't walked away with a, a definite conclusion as to an answer to that question. So
0: if there is speculation that within the administration, you, there is a no apology policy. Never apologize for anything, even when it's clear we're wrong. Double, triple down. We may have seen that over the weekend with what I thought was a rather odd place to spend political capital, and that is rem- removal of specific references to Jews in the Holocaust remembrance. And then sending people like, you know, listen, I've, I never have a problem with the humiliation of Reince Priebus. I'm always okay with that. Okay, but, but sending him out there on the Sunday morning shows to to say, well, we don't apologize for that. Uh, yeah, we recognize that Jews were the primary target of the Holocaust, but but we don't regret the statement we put out there at all. And, and so is that a byproduct of the phenomenon that you describe in your piece even when it's clear you're wrong and you've made a miscalculation uh, give no ground apologize for nothing never accept any amount of of scrutiny or accountability on any level whatsoever
5: i mean perhaps it's uh if, if the tr- if the truth is it seems, it seems to me that in the in the culture in which we live that the, the truth is determined by whoever sets the narrative whoever sets the agenda mm-hmm. whoever whoever has the initiative mm-hmm um, and there were a number of people who made that observation about Trump's campaign was that he was, uh, can't remember. It was another article at the Federalist, but he compared it to the, the OODA loop. Um, you know, that, uh, where's it from? It's, it's, it's in, it's in military training. Observe, operate, decide, act. You know, and the more quickly that you can go through that process, then, um, the more quickly you can outthink and outmaneuver your opponent. And, you know, so when it comes to like determining what the agenda is or whatever the, you know whatever people whatever people are saying in the public sphere, that ultimately determines what the what the reality is. Um, so I mean I, I, I don't I, I can't um, I can't speak to to whatever Ryan Spierings was talking about on talk shows yesterday. I wasn't paying as close attention to that I, that item in the news cycle. But um, just to, based upon what you said, yes, um, that doesn't strike me as uh, inconsistent with my thesis.
0: Folks, it's a fascinating piece over at The Federalist from just a few days ago. David Ernst, the author. Uh, It's titled, Donald Trump is the First President to Turn Postmodernism Against Itself. Really well done, David. Thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care.
1: Listening to Steve Dace. For critical thinkers only, The Steve Dace Show.
0: All right, back here to wrap it up tonight on The Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Here on the Salem Radio Network. So we've come to the end tonight, gentlemen. What did we learn here this evening? Todd, you may begin.
2: Well, I've learned that I couldn't have been more right about describing how um, well before the new year came along that 2017 was probably going to make uh, 2016 look like a quaint little picnic. <laughs> Buckle up, folks. I mean, that, that, that was just a prelude. It was just an inner varsity scrimmage. This is going to be, I mean, this, we are in the middle of a civil war. Did, did we just, the, the, there's no bullets yet. There are punches already being f- thrown on multiple sides. It's a civil war.
0: You think this because if we, if we had this level of, of dysfunction in our culture when these sorts of things were even being contemplated being done imagine what the reaction would be if we actually attempted to do them. Is that sort of what you're saying?
2: Right. And I also say, at no, including the Civil War, at no point in our nation's history have we been more culturally divided. Even when we were fighting over the, the, the matter of slavery, state sovereignty, the fundamentals of what a people ultimately believed in many respects that their core were the same, but they didn't take them to the right conclusions. But these were not alien tribes to one another. We very much are now.
0: The difference, though, is I agree that we are more culturally divided. I just don't think as many of us are as culturally divided as we were in that time period. I think these are largely pockets of concentrations around college campuses and certain urban sectors in America. That that are have a lot of people demographically, but the amount of division is overblown by the fact that within these pockets is where the media and popular culture largely reside. So there's this notion that it's a 50-50 split. It's not a 50-50 that's split. That's
2: true, but there's a lot of sheep that'll easily
0: be drawn. Well, I, you heard me say all during the last election, you can't on one hand say America doesn't care what celebrities think and then not recognize the Republican nominee was a reality mm-hmm. TV star. I, I'm with uh-huh. you on that. Yeah, that's, that's a cognitive dissonance there. Aaron.
3: Yeah. I learned that just because your opponents are split amongst themselves or turning against themselves, going back to the conversation we just had with David Ernst, doesn't mean you're advancing anything. Doesn't mean you're necessarily winning a fight. It's almost like guerrilla warfare. We're not in an all-out battle. We're not in a one, a mano-a-mano battle with progressivism in the United States. It's it's We're kind of having battles here and there, and we're kind of confusing uh, the opponents or the enemy right now, but we're not really engaging in the actual battles, the actual debates that we... A- need to have. We're just having again, our version, I say our I say the rights version of dueling narratives right now is the one that's in power and I, I, I just hope that it's not a, some sort of a repeat in some form of what we saw from the left for the last eight years.
0: That's going to do it for tonight back at it again tomorrow we find out who Trump's Supreme Court nominee is. Until then, John 317
1: You're listening to Steve Dace